Halito, and welcome to Native Chalk Talk, a podcast by Natives for all. Here, we're keeping our Native ancestors' stories and history alive, while also sharing with you our Native cultures, traditions, and more. I'm Rachel Youngman, a Choctaw originally from Anadarko, Oklahoma. I hope you'll enjoy this journey with me as we learn from our Native American guests. And stay tuned for the end of each episode, where we'll talk about some great ways to support Native causes and or Native-owned businesses. Let's get started. The Choctaw Nation has always provided a foundation upon which a future can be built. From our home in Southeast Oklahoma to a bingo hall that grew to be one of the largest casinos in the world. Today's summer school programs lay the groundwork for a love of learning. Small business programs support local economies. And with over 10,000 jobs created, Choctaw offers financial stability to tribal members and our neighbors. Together we build success because together we're more. Indian makes attempt to kill. This was the headline I quoted late at night on March 13th, 2018, in a post on the Facebook group called Indian Territory and Early Oklahoma History. I loved that group, still do, as it's a place to see bits of personal history and stories from a certain time period in Oklahoma. So what subscribers to that group didn't know was that this was my last attempt at finding information about my ancestors that I was desperately seeking. My great-great-uncle Cicero was one of many of my relatives who were under the guardianship of a non-Native man named J.D. Anderson, the wealthiest landowner in Sulphur, Oklahoma. In order for Cicero to try to get his land allotments back from Mr. Anderson, he shot through the window of Mr. Anderson's house, the bullet striking his guardian, although failing to kill him. It seemed the papers were ecstatic to print those words, Indian makes attempt to kill in bold letters, as they described the events of the evening with great excitement. Surely these papers would fly off the shelf and this story would be the talk of the town. Of course, there was no mention of the fact that J.D. Anderson had swindled Cicero and many others out of their land allotments, and there was no hero for the Indian in this case. There was no one to stand up for him and to get his land back, the land his mother had hoped would help him survive in the world. At this point, I had spent many years researching my family. My great-grandmother, who passed on when I was in my late 20s, was the driving force, really, for my completing her story, a story that had really been forgotten. But lately, I had hit a brick wall, so to speak. The years prior had yielded bits of information, but the last nine months of searching had left me with nothing new and with so many unanswered questions. I recall closing my laptop and thinking to myself, that's it, I'm done. There's nowhere to learn or to understand. And I crawled into bed late that night, but I still couldn't sleep. And I decided to post Cicero's story on the aforementioned Facebook group page and thought, this may be a silly last attempt, but I'll post Cicero's story and the newspaper clipping and ask if anyone happens to be related to Cicero Coley or related to any Coley's at all. And I then said a prayer as I attempted to sleep, thanking God for the day and all that. But I spent a moment to also talk to my ancestors. I said several of their names in my head, Sophie, Joe, Cicero, David, Ella, Mary Bell, Sillen, Edmund and and so on. I felt a little silly, but went on to ask, if you want me to tell your story, please help me. 
I woke up the next morning to get ready for a meeting I had in downtown Houston. And while I was doing so, I pulled up my Facebook account, forgetting in my morning stupor that I had even posted about Cicero so late the night before. And in Facebook Messenger was a note from a woman named Carrie. And she wrote, I know the Coley's from the Kinta San Boys area. And immediately I knew this was going to be an important connection. I thanked my relatives for bringing me Carrie and hurried off to the meeting, itching to get to know Carrie more. An entirely new world opened up to me that day. Carrie and I talked nonstop, sharing what we knew. And she also introduced me to a woman named Cheryl. So both of them are distant cousins of mine and both had many of those missing pieces to our ancestors' story puzzle. Four years later, and we have a Coley family private group that's growing, and we've had a reunion of sorts at the same park in Sulphur, Oklahoma, where our families used to gather. We all wrote our family trees on the sidewalk in chalk and tied them together so that we could all get a visual of how we were all related. If I hadn't put myself out there and written that post on Indian Territory and early Oklahoma, I wouldn't know this wonderful group of family members that I know today. I wouldn't have had the honor of growing and preserving my ancestors' stories so that they would never be forgotten. I get a lot of emails from you listeners who share that you're trying to find your ancestors and you don't always know where to start. So let me tell you, I hear you, friends. There are a lot of good tools out there, but tracing our Native American roots is extremely difficult considering the history is typically passed down orally. Well, my dear listeners, today we have a hero in our midst. <laughs> my guest, Gwen Takes Horse, is here to help answer all our questions about how to trace our American Indian heritage. So Gwen, welcome to Native Chalk Talk. Thank you, Rachel, for asking me. This, I'm, I'm excited because I'm always uh, willing to talk about genealogy, whether it's mine or someone else's. Awesome. And I'm really jealous of your job. I wish I <laughs> I could do that full time like you're doing. It's really cool. So listeners, Gwen comes to us from the Choctaw Nation of Oklahoma, where she has been a genealogist since 1998. Gwen also has a master's of behavioral science degree in counseling psychology and is Choctaw and Chickasaw. She'll also be sharing about her own family story in a bit. But first, let's get to learning about how to do some research. I'd like to make a quick disclaimer here. It's my hope that those who are interested in searching for your ancestors will do so to seek to understand them as human beings, to learn about their lives and their stories, not to just try to prove relation and seek tribal membership only for the sake of trying to get money from the tribe. Because let me tell you, there is no money tree growing on tribal grounds. You're not going to get rich or your child's college paid for, get a bunch of free stuff. That's a complete misconception. So please consider the fact that our First Nations people suffered greatly. Their land was taken and their language and culture was basically all but destroyed. To try to become a tribal member, so they to try to become a tribal member so you can then take from our people even more is not a good reason to research. I hope you'll learn about your ancestors because you want to honor them and learn about their culture and traditions and history. And again, their personal stories. And just know, I'll be cheering you on. You can do it. Okay, Gwen, 
I'm super excited to work with you today to help our guests and myself to better understand researching our roots and how to dig into our native history. Now, even though your Choctaw are coming to us from a Choctaw genealogy perspective, a lot of the tips you're going to give us today apply to a lot of tribes, correct? Yes, but specifically um, the Dawes role, because uh, that covers the Choctaw, Chickasaw, Cherokee Creek, and Seminole tribes in Oklahoma. And um, so they're, they're the ones that we generally get calls about. That makes sense. Yeah. The Dawes rolls is, and we're going to talk about that in a little bit too, is, is really a, a crucial element to all of this. And it's, it's the best way, the cleanest way to be able to uh, find our ancestors. So for the sake of keeping this easy, I'm going to use our tribe, the Choctaw tribe, as an example for my questions moving forward. But again, the information can be applied to some of the tribes out there today. So let's say I'm a listener and I may know some first and last names of some of my Choctaw relatives, but that's about it. Where do I even start to find more information? Okay, basically, uh, you start with yourself and work backwards in time. But instead of looking to see if you're tribal, you first you just need to find the people that you're related to that like your parents, your grandparents and so on. So like I said, start with yourself. Um, at home, you might begin looking to see if there's birth or death certificates that maybe uh, was left to you. Um, if you had a family Bible, just start, looking for things and mm -hmm. a lot of people don't even that we've talked to don't even know what their grandparents name were oh wow and because oh. uh, their grandparents would have died before uh they were born or as they were small children and so they don't even know their names um so anyway you would um start with yourself put down your information and from there, you're going to make a family tree. So you're going to go to your parents. And then you go to your grandparents. Um, as, as you are looking for stuff in your own home, you might, and, you, and you'll be surprised what you find out from cousins, not necessarily from aunts and uncles, but cousins, because they had a different um, parent. And a lot of times, you know, they hear stories from that parent's perspective. Mm -hmm. is, and I may have mine. And I know we got together uh, with my cousins a couple of years ago on, on one side, and there was just about five of us, but they knew stuff about our grandmother that I didn't know. Wow. And uh, wow. so I found out I get more from cousins than I do from aunts and uncles. Huh. Was it so much fun to get to hear those new little nuggets of information? Right. Yeah. And so what you're going to do is, uh, like I said, make your family tree. And from that, there are other tools that we can use that, like Ancestry.com, um, that that one you have to pay for. But then there's other free ones that you can use. And I'll explain th about them later. Okay. So what do you do? You know, we were talking before we hopped on this call about uh, adoption. So what do you do when there's a relative in your line that maybe was an orphan or grew up in a orphanage or was adopted by someone else what do you do in those cases it's it's best if you're looking to see your adoption papers and if you were born let's just say 1955 or so 
uh, you would have to go to the courthouse of the county that you were adopted out of. And sometimes it's going to take a little digging, but that's that's one of the first steps. And of course, online, everybody's doing the ancestry DNA or or one, two, three, and me, and and sometimes you can just run into cousins, right? And find out more information than that, you know, from people you don't even know, you know, maybe five minutes prior to you seeing them. And that's how a lot of them are finding out. Uh, they have other brothers and sisters out there that they didn't know about, especially from parents who had divorced. Absolutely. And I, I, if I were adopted and didn't know that lineage, I would definitely be doing the DNA testing and I have done it anyway, but uh, it's really cool. The stories you hear about people doing DNA on ancestry.com or wherever the case is, and they're able to find their relatives that way. It's just like such a miracle. It always kind of gives me goosebumps, pretty cool situation. Uh, you know, retracing or tracing our ancestry for the native American side is really challenging, but to make it even more challenging, for the sake of tribes that follow the matrilineal line, like the Choctaw tribe used to do, would you describe how that works? Well, but I was always, what I always heard from uh, my elders and stuff, they always said, well, you could always uh, prove wh- which woman the child came from, but you always couldn't prove the man. So the uh, women, um, the, the kids stayed with their, their mothers, and particularly the boys, they didn't necessarily um, get to you know, run around with their dad. They they usually ran around with the mother's brother, and uh, and he taught them how to hunt and he taught them how to fish and other things that the Choctaw men were doing at that time. So passed down generation to generation, and sometimes portrayed in maybe the Choctaw in the art of the Choctaws. Uh, women were held in high esteem in, in that Indian culture. Naniwaya is the mound that is the center of the Choctaw origin stories, meaning Mother Mound in Choctaw. But even though the men held the visual leadership positions in the tribe, it was the women who dictated most other aspects of Indian life for the Choctaws in the past. So the Choctaw women were the caretakers of family and land. They had the kids. They cooked. Um, they grew crops. The men were usually uh, would be the hunters and would bring the meat and stuff in. Mm-hmm. So the mother, the Choctaw mother, was uh, basically cared for the family, providing most of the child care, and then preparing the meals of whatever the husband brought back in or whatever she had got out of her garden. Wow. So and and so if you were. That's like um, if you are part of a high-ranking member of the Choctaws at that time, it was probably due to your mother's standing. But you have to understand my 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 parents. My my dad wanted us to know stuff. You know, when we were teenagers, so we had mainly because we were running in contests. My mm-hmm. my uh, and uh, so we had to know about the tribe. So dad made sure we sat down and, and read it what we That's knew at great. that time. That's great. Of course, since then, other stuff has, you know, come to light that was not necessarily in the a textbook at that time. 
Well, and now we have the biskinic, which is fantastic. And most tribes do as well. Some kind of, you know, paper biskinic is our Choctaw nation paper that comes out every month. And I remember seeing, um, that's where I learned about the matrilineal lines, um, uh-huh. an article that, I don't know, were you part of that article? It's no. a long time okay. ago. Okay. It was a long time ago and it kind of mapped out how it all worked. If I can find it, I will post it on my native chalk talk, Facebook page. Something I did early on was searched for my ancestors on the Dawes rolls, but would you explain to our listeners about the Dawes rolls, why they're significant and how to use them? The commission to the five civilized tribes was appointed by uh, President uh, Grover Cleveland in 1893 to negotiate land with the five civilized tribes, uh, that being the Cherokee, Creek, Choctaw, Chickasaw, and the Seminole tribes. So it was named after a um, the chairman of the commission, who was a senator, Henry L. Dawes. And I'm saying D-A-W-E-S. Some people think I'm saying D-O-S-S. Mm-hmm. So, and uh, but, but if you're looking for history of the Choctaws, you're going to hear about that a lot anyway. It ends up being called the final roles of the citizens and freedmen of the five civilized tribes in Indian territory. So... They had to be um, convinced uh, to agree to be on the, the roll because they're, um, they didn't want, the Choctaws did not want to give up their land to begin with because up to that point it had been Choctaw land, but it, everyone um, owned it together. The Oz Commission was going to do is they were going to abolish the um, tribal governments. They were going to say that they're going to have to um, recognized federal laws, and they were going to give tribal members uh, an allotment of land. And in order to receive the land, the individual tribal members first had to apply and been and been deemed eligible by the commission. So it started in 1896, but there was a lot of fraud going on. The five civilized tribes weren't even on that to begin with. Uh, there were um, people arguing over land. Like I was saying, people coming in saying they were Indian and they weren't, or Choctaw and they weren't. Right. So the Dawes said, okay, we're stopping. And uh, so they stopped it. And then, so everybody had to reapply in order to be considered, even if they had already applied in 1896. So the Dawes Commission accepted applications, and this was for all of them, between 1898 until 1907. And with a few additional people were accepted by an act of Congress, which opened the rolls for one day, and that was in 1914, and then turned around and closed it. Hmm. So the list that we have now uh, are the ones who were accepted as eligible and became known as the Dawes Roll. So anyway, the Dawes Roll is what we have to go back to, um, like in my case, okay, I I have four ancestors that were on the Dawes Roll. I had to prove back to all of them. Uh, luckily, I only had to go back two generations. Mm-hmm. But there are some people now that are having to go back, you know, six generations. And that's where it gets um, kind of hard for them. And that's where we at genealogy come in. Absolutely. So let's say um, maybe I'm a younger person. I'm 16 years old and I am Choctaw. And I'm wanting to trace back to my great-great-grandmother who was on the Dawes Rolls. What does it look like? What do I have to provide to trace that lineage? 
Well, we usually give them what's called a genealogy request form and tell them that talk to your parents, if your grandparents are still alive, you know, talk to anybody in your family that can help you get back. It used to, I used to say back to uh, before 1940, but uh, now it's, I say 1950. It, mm. To help them uh, give them a place to start if they can get that back that far then they can find the rest of them back to the 1900 u.s federal census so Absolutely. yeah if they if they run into roadblocks or something i just have them tell them to call us so so that's great you can always call genealogy for help so that's good to know, listeners, if you are stumped in your um, quest to try to trace your roots or to try to gain your um, tribal membership, which, and, and maybe I should tie, connect the dots here, in order to become a tribal member, you must trace your lineage back to the people that signed up on the Dawes rolls that are federally listed as, say, Choctaw. Um, they usually receive their land allotments based on that. And then there's this lineage down to you. There's death certificates, there's birth certificates, all these things that will help you trace back so that you can become a tribal member. So remember that that Dawes rolls that, that Gwen's talking about is imperative for you to be able to do that. And that's a great segue into the CDIB card. So we who are tribal members have something called a CDIB card, that's Certificate Degree of Indian Blood. So quick mention, there are Native Americans out there who don't and will never have their CDIB cards. In other words, will not be a tribal member because they did not have relatives that um, signed on with the onto the Dawes rolls. And for whatever reason, there were several reasons we could go down a rabbit hole on that one, Gwen and I, as to why <laughs> they may not have right. been able to sign up. But this, of course, does not make them less Native. If you're Native, you're Native. On the other hand, nor does having your CDIB card always mean that you're a respecter or student of your tribe's culture. Gwen and I encourage you to get to know your history, the stories, the culture, the traditions, so that you can really um, own that part of what makes you who you are. So having said that, please share um, more about anything that you'd like to share about the certificate degree of Indian blood, anything else folks need to know? Okay, so, so like you said, it's uh, short for certificate degree of Indian blood. Um, it's issued by the Bureau of Indian Affairs and it uses, and it certifies that an individual has a specific fraction of Indian ancestry of a federally recognized Indian tribe. Uh, with the Choctaws, there is no uh, minimum at this point. I mean, we have some that are, you know, one over 256 and stuff, but um, if you can prove that you are descended from somebody on the Dawes roll and that they were uh, registered as Choctaw by blood, then you can become a member. But it's not as easy as, as it sounds. It's, right. Uh, it's, you have to get, birth and death certificates and all that to prove that. Okay, so a certificate degree of Indian blood does not establish membership in a tribe. Um, that's the, the tribal membership is determined by tribal laws and may, and well, in our case, it does uh, require a CDIB. So anyway, um, and like I said, we can go down why some people are not able to get CDIBs. 
but just quickly, uh, sometimes people back then, they didn't realize that it was going to be the, the final DOS uh, roll list, or they, they didn't want oh. the land. They, lived, they might have lived in Texas if they had their own property, if they were raising cattle and, and trying to grow something on Texas soil, there was no reason to, you know, move and right. come up to, uh, to get an allotment. So um, some of them just said that they felt like it was shameful and they didn't want any handouts or, you know, a bunch of stuff like that. Mm -hmm. But but my thought always is I've got four grandparents that are on there. So why didn't they take off and go somewhere else? Huh. And I guess all they know is, is uh, they were poor. You know, they lived off the land for so long they weren't going to move. And, right. uh, of course, the allotment process moved them a little bit, but basically they were in the same area. Interesting. So you know, is, oh, go ahead. Go ahead. Well, um, that is an interesting point. And at the time, I think it's worth mentioning too, that a lot of people were angry about the Dawes rolls. They felt like, well, you're just putting a number on us. We're humans. My great, great grandfather, Tom Davis was, um, he was full blood Choctaw and didn't speak any English at all. And he went on a rampage and killed a bunch of white folks at the time because of what was going on with the Dawes commission. And in 1896, around that same time, I believe from what you said was when they were rolling all of this out. Um, he was, he was, uh, sentenced to hang because of what he had done. And, uh, it was president Grover Cleveland who actually pardoned him. So I'm alive because of president Grover Cleveland. <laughs> um, he pardoned him and he, he also partly did it because he thought he was a young man. He somehow it got around that he was 14 years old when he was really in his twenties. So he was like, well, this is a young person. Let's pardon him and all this stuff. Um, and then the interesting thing is he was with my, he eventually married Rosa, which was my great, great grandmother. And they had Ella, my great grandmother, and he enrolled her at that time when she was born in 1903. So it's like as angry as he was, he still, you know, wanted her to make sure that she received her land allotments. He had to do that from prison because he was in prison for something else at that point. But, um, and, and what's so strange to me is all those years when I was growing up with my great grandmother, she died when I was in my late twenties, again, really cool. Cause she was born in 1903. She must've seen so many things is that I had no idea that her dad enrolled her while he was in prison. And he had previously though, gone on a rampage to kill people because of the Dawes commission. And I doubt she even knew a lot of that at the time. So kind of interesting how all of that was happening at the time. That's real, that's real cool though, that you know that story. We'll talk about newspapers.com in a second, but part of the reason I know that is because of newspapers.com. All of the, it was nationwide news, what Tom Davis had done, but almost all the newspapers got his age wrong. And <laughs> is it, oh for people looking at newspapers.com, just know things used to be a lot messier than they are now. They're still messy, but they used to be worse. Name spellings incorrectly, wrong towns, just all kinds of stuff. But um, I am grateful that Grover Cleveland did commute his sentence. So. so for those who are trying to enroll in their tribe, we'll get back to that topic in a bit. There are fantastic tools out there that many folks use to increase their ancestral information. 
I myself and Gwen too, we use ancestry.com, newspapers.com. I also tend to use fold3.com on occasion for military records. And then there's always census records. So I use other tools too, but those are my main go-tos. And of course I refer to the DAWs roles. Um, folks can just, you can just Google D-A-W-E-S R-O-L-L-S, and it will pull up the information about DAWs roles. You can just put in your family's name, see what comes up. So what do you also suggest as helpful tools for any stage, whether beginner or expert? Basically, like she was saying, I, I use Ancestry.com because I was more familiar with it because I had already started using it before I ever came to work here. Mm. And um, anyway... Uh, it's it's a paid subscription and it can be a little costly. Um, it but you can also go to a library and use Ancestry.com for free because most of them have um, a subscription. And now you may be told that you can only use a computer for about two hours, but you can sit there and write down everything you want and and uh, also run off copies. Absolutely, at the library. And uh, but part of um, but FamilySearch.org is part of Ancestry. You just can't get into everything. But you can still get a lot of information on that that you can't get from Ancestry.com. Use their phone. And sometimes Ancestry is a little different if you have if all they have is at home is a phone. Uh, and you can't see it as much. You have to keep scrolling down. But uh, like I said, if you can go to the library and use the library's computers, that's great. I also use, like she was talking about, uh, newspapers.com. Uh, we have to look for obituaries. We have to look for, and, you know, finding obituaries back in 1910, it can be hard mm -hmm. uh, because a lot of people still lived out in the boonies and especially yeah. in southeastern Oklahoma. Uh -huh. and, uh, and so you just keep looking until you find that somebody died. And it could be just a little blurb, one line, uh, so-and-so died. They buried him. Okay, fold three. Um, fold three was mentioned. Um, I have I've used that some because sometimes you can't find um, a packet or a DOS card, census card, because it was misplaced. So go to fold three. You can um, and it is a subscription um, website too. But if you have fold three, you can look for go page by page faster and see if you can find uh, the census card or see if you can find the packet. Because sometimes, even back then, they maybe it was somebody who was dyslexic because they changed the numbers. Mm -hmm. So, right. um, and so, it, so sometimes we really have to dig, but we don't have to dig like they used to 50 years ago. Now we have computers and that is if it's been digitized because not everything is out there. Right. And, and that's important to know, you know, like right. we, that's why we all need to keep going back to these sites to keep searching because they may have scanned and uploaded more information since the last time we looked. And, and anything that um, anybody wants to um, get a copy of, I can um, leave you my work email or maybe Rachel already has it, but um or maybe you already great. have it. So, because I can send some brochures that says how to look for their uh, ancestors, how to look for their Choctaw ancestor, 
and it has several websites that some are uh, subscriptions, some are, I guess most of them are um, free. Uh, there's things like Cindy's List, like, you know, you can find marriage license in the Choctaw Nation. Ah. Uh, you know, sites like that. Um, but like I said, anytime you want anything from uh, our department, we'd be glad to send it. That's fantastic. Um, Good to know. So listeners, hopefully you caught that, that, um, you know, as, as Gwen mentioned before, they're here to help um, if you're Choctaw and, um, and you can contact them. What, what is the name of your department? Uh, uh, genealogy. Okay. Genealogy department at Choctaw Nation, and they can help you find what you're looking for. Do you have tools that other people don't have access to? Like does Choctaw Nation have records or something that sometimes you go dig deep into outside of say ancestry.com? Well, I, okay. I mentioned an 1855 um, payment. I usually, I look at the book for that one uh, because mm. if you don't know how to spell a Choctaw name, um, <laughs> uh, it's, it's, you know, okay, what, this wasn't Choctaw, this was uh, Chickasaw, but uh, I had to find my great grandfather, his name was Anacha, but they have it as a nature. Oh gosh. They have it as, it was with an A, an A-H-H. Uh, at the beginning, they have it um, a U H, so it's easier for me just to go down through the the, and, it, and it's it, and I, to my knowledge, it's not in a book form anywhere. It's just um, somebody transcribed it, and um, sometimes they might have gotten the name you know incorrect. Yeah, but we'll, we'll take a, a look at it, and some of them were not even here you know, yet because it, it was. Like I said, it was done about 1855. Mm-hmm. Um, the Armstrong Rolls, which is the first time that the Indians were, or the Choctaws were um, listed, they were getting ready to move the Choctaws um, west of the Mississippi River at that point um, to Indian ter- territory. And they had, they had listed all the Indian, the Choctaw names. And uh, a lot of them... I can't even, I can't pronounce it. You know, there is a lot of words or names that start with the letter I. Hmm. So anyway, if you don't know your ancestors back to then, uh, there's nothing that will say um, an Indian name to a white name. Right. Sometimes it, right. And, and it, it's sometimes in a, I know the uh, Presbyterians were a lot around that time might find something in their records. Uh, there's a Presbyterian if, uh, in Tulsa that can be called. Oh. Uh, and and uh, in fact, the Tulsa Library has a lot of information too. So you just hit on something that's interesting to me because I have a hard time figuring out what my relatives' native names were before they came over during the removal to Indian territory from Mississippi. Um, so in my head, I'm like, somewhere is written a native name and they then transcribed it to say the last name Coley or Canard or whatever the case is. And, and then they started getting their first Christian names and all of that. And so other people may be stuck where I am. I'm very stuck at that point. So 
we are deep into the ancestry conversation at this point, you guys, we've we've dived way in. <laughs> um, so this is where a lot of us um, have issues where we can't seem to, we can go way back while, you know, our relatives are still living in Indian territory, but we can't cross that, you know, so-called trail of tears back to Mississippi to find out what the real names are. So th these are tools that Gwen's talking about where, um, maybe the Tulsa library or the Presbyterians might have that translation of the old name to the new name. There's a huge chance they don't have it, but you never know. There, there are some people out there that have been able to find their family's information there. So uh, you have found exactly where I am stuck, Gwen. And <laughs> see, um, if you don't go to places like that, and they're, they're not necessarily uh, digitized, so mm. it's not out on the, the internet, and and like I was saying, there was there's so much more that um, oh somebody said if you would for example went to the National Archives, it would take you know a hundred people a hundred years to try to start digitizing oh. the list, <laughs> right? So you know uh, yeah, and and by the way, they all need volunteers to help do that too. Amen. Uh, God she, bless the digitizers. Uh, <laughs> Yes, and including the Oklahoma History Center up in um, Oklahoma City. Mm. They, mm -hmm. they like uh, people who volunteer. Good to know, folks. So we can all give back, especially those of us who have maybe had some success. Why not we give back by going up there and, and volunteering to help start digitizing some of these thousands and thousands, millions of records that are not on the internet right now because they have not been digitized. We all might have information out there that we just don't know about because it's not on the internet. Okay, the other thing that um, is a very helpful tool is the are the censuses. Um, the 1900 and the 1910 are my favorite, but 1900 is the first time that the Indians are enumerated. So that that year and also in 1910, they did two different schedules. One was for the Indians, and the other one was for everybody else. Hmm. Um, the ones for the Indians, they are uh, the top half of the sheet will have names and their, you know their families, and then the bottom half has their tribes because they didn't. They were trying to find out how many uh, people were here. You know, different Indian tribes, and uh, of course Oklahoma has thirty nine tribes. Um, Besides the, the five civilized tribes, um, we have more of the eastern side and then the, where the Plains Indians are on the western side. The, whereas the, the, the census card for the, the schedule for the um, non-Indians, it's just a whole list of names. Um, I do want to talk about the 1900 and the 1910 census because... That was the first time that the Indians were enumerated. So in 1900 and 1910, there are two different schedules, one for the Indians and one for everybody else. The Indian schedule will have, the top half of the page will have names, their, the, the families, you know, head of households, uh, their children, their, their wives. I have not seen one with more than one wife yet. And um, the bottom half has which tribe they belong to. It also, what's interesting about those couple of years is, um, are those two different censuses, is it tells how many children that the women had 
and how many were still alive. Mm. And and one of my ancestors, she had had 12 kids, but at that point there was, I think, eight still alive. But I've seen others that um, buried more than, you know, four kids. It, it just, it was a hard time for women back then um, having a child every other year or every right, year. Right, right. But it, it, you know, so you get a little feel about what was going on with the family with some of those uh, questions. And 1910 did the same. If they were on the Indian schedule, uh, then there's a possibility they might have been Indian. And that's why we would search that 1900 um, census, because that is the, the middle of the DOS roll. And as of recent, there's actually a new tool for our arsenals, y'all. In our Choctaw paper, The Biskinic, Sheila Curvin wrote an article in June of 2022 called Release of 1950 Census Proves to be Useful Research Tool. Quoting from the article, in Indian Territory, we have been getting a census since 1900. For someone who thinks they may be Choctaw, 1900 was important because it tells where someone was living at the time. In 1950, a lot of people's grandparents were living, and census records tell us what they were doing and who was in the household. Gwen takes horse, Choctaw Nation gene genealogy research specialist. I know her. <laughs> uh, that's according to Gwen. Thank you, Gwen. They need, <laughs> they need to be able to do a family tree, starting with themselves and working backwards, as you said. When they get to 1950, they're going to see someone like grandparents or great grandparents, and you're working back to get to 1900 to find where your relatives were living. You're not looking to see if they're Native American. You're just trying to find your family back to 1900. If they were living in southeastern Oklahoma, there might be a chance they were Choctaw. So this is all kind of, I'm glad we're reiterating this because that really is the best practice is to start with yourself, move backwards. Um, and then, so tell us about this new release of the 1950 census. Well, for months, I had on a yellow post-it up on my cabinet uh, at work saying April 1st, 2022. Wow. And I, I was, I would thought I need the 1950 because, you know, like you were saying, some of them, uh, their grandparents were going to be on that. Mm -hmm. but. In my case, my parents are going to be on that. Wow, and, yeah. Uh, so I was excited to see that. But 1950 being open did help us because we didn't have to go back as far to find their grandparents. And um, so it's it's just real. It's just exciting to me. And I, and I still like going when they call in. I can actually say now, in order to... Um, look for your ancestors, if you could figure out who was th uh, there by 1950, mm -hmm. everything else, so the 1940, 1930, 1920, uh, 1910, and 1900, that part will be easier. And since 1950 is closer to people, of course, living today, then it's easy from there, whereas before, we had to go to 1940, and it's easy because it's uh, online. Right. You can get, like I said, at National Archives, it can get that off uh, uh, Ancestry.com. Um, and it sounds like Ancestry.com is paying me. They're not. Um, but <laughs> like I right. said, it was, yeah, 
um, like I said, they were, um, I was just used to that. And I can find uh, the census cards. I can find the census packets. I can find the, the uh, land allotments all on Ancestry. And uh, so that's why I've said if you don't have it, you can go to a library and use their computers and get on their um, Ancestry. Mm-hmm. And I do not know of one that is charging at this point as far as the library because it's just part of their, um, what they do to help, uh, crap, I don't cry. It's part of what they do is just to help us learn more. Yeah. Absolutely. And I, I thought it was interesting too. Um, in the article, you talked about how it takes 72 years for the U.S. government to release a new decades version to the public due to the privacy of individuals in the record. So this really is a big deal for people tracing their ancestry, especially as they start with themselves and work backwards. This for some people like yourself is that first, that next step as you people trace their, their way back. So pretty interesting. Um, here's more information from the article. The newly released records represent the baby boom generation. According to archives.gov, they contain 151 million people and 33,378 additional census pages from Indian reservations. The records show household per household member names, locations, ages, states born in, marital status, military service, and occupation and occupations. It even shows which families owned television sets at that time. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. (laughs) I wonder if they're like, how many television sets do you have in your house? (laughs) Just one, sir. So race also begins to be broken down more. With census records, researchers can see who lived next door to their family by looking at the families below and above them on the page they are listed. The older censuses were recorded manually by a census taker door to door. This is consistent with the 1950 census as well. This information can open possibilities to reach out to others who may be able to fill in the gaps in research. At that point, the Dawes records need to be consulted to see if anyone on the family tree signed up affiliating with a tribe. Um, I think it's interesting that looking to see who the families were living around them, like looking above and below the names to see who else was in the area. The reason that's interesting for someone like me is my Coley family, they lived um, in Kinda and San Boys area and some other places. And they were very, very tight knit close to the King families. Um, uh, there were several families out that way that they were just really close to McGillberry's, a bunch of others. And but even then it was still such a really small community, but they all took care of each other's kids. They were always together. They do picnics and things like that. And it just makes me picture in my head, this just kind of real cool community of Choctaws living together. So <clears throat> I'm going to get on my soapbox about something. Many people don't like the idea of using tools like an ancestry.com or equivalent. They're afraid to put their information out there, or even if they do, they keep their tree set to private. Many of our native families are extremely guarded and private, and I totally understand why, but here's the problem. I've personally known people who have spent 25 plus years researching their family heritage, and when they pass on their research and documenting history and beautiful stories, it's just gone forever. So if you don't place the information 
in a safe place or within a platform like Ancestry.com, you could possibly lose everything. Your descendants won't benefit from your research and your ancestor stories will be just in the wind. So I realize I'm being pushy about this topic, but this is my suggestion for you. Put that stuff out there where people can use the information today and in the future. Okay, so back to our topic of research for the tools out there that we've mentioned. Um, a lot of them do have a cost, um, but I will say if it is in your budget, the cost is 100% worth it. Gwen has mentioned some tools out there that are free of charge, fantastic, like Family Research, the Oklahoma Historical Society. There's people there that can help you too um, when you're searching for things. And another tool that's out there today is DNA testing. So what are your thoughts on DNA testing as a tool, Gwen? Okay, so... The basic answer that I tell people when they call and ask if they can get their uh, blood tested and and how to do that, I just tell them that we don't use DNA because it can't tell you who your ancestor is and it cannot tell you which tribe it is. Um, and actually, of the 574 family-recognized tribes, I don't know of any of them that will take DNA alone just to prove Indian descendancy. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And um, here's some additional info, a few helpful notes from the article I mentioned from the Biskinic. DNA test results can vary. Individuals may take tests from various companies and get different results. This is because testing services may use markers that provide a diverse representation of ethnicity. Inherited genetic markers can play havoc with ethnicity results, resulting in small amounts not appearing on test results. The results of siblings will be similar, but may not show the same results. According to National Geographic, siblings only share about 50% of the same DNA on average. If researchers have Native American ancestry on their test results, it may show as vague as Indigenous America's Northwest. Test results usually will not pinpoint specific tribes. So as you mentioned, the tribe does not accept DNA testing to verify American Indian blood. I personally have had my DNA tested and, and loaded into ancestry. So if the government's going to come after me, they'll know where to find me. But, <laughs> um, but I, I do love that. It kind of helped me see my whole picture, like the side of me that's German and, and that kind of thing. But I think it, if nothing else, the adoption portion of it is so crucial as well for people who maybe adopted and are looking for their ancestors or, and family members and that kind of thing. So it's pretty cool. Um, and you mentioned before, um, Folks must have a paper trail of birth and death certificates back to the Dawes Rolls enrollee to be able to apply for tribal membership. So listeners, please keep that in mind. If you want to do your DNA test, do it for fun and enjoy. It'll be fun to see what your makeup is. And if you want to share any of that with us just for fun about, oh, these are the cool things I found in my ancestry research or my DNA or whatever, um, Gwen and I are more than happy to, to hear what you're sharing on my Native Chalk Talk Facebook page. A quick mention about data privacy. When you're doing your DNA testing, you'll need to read their terms on data privacy so that you're fully aware ahead of time as to what they'll do with your results. Listeners, I know not everyone is comfortable with the idea of DNA with the idea of DNA testing. Some have reservations about the government having access to that info and what they may do with it in the future. I'd love to hear from you. What are your thoughts on DNA testing and your privacy? Feel free to share on my Native Chalk Talk Facebook page where I'll be posting this episode. 
I've recently become interested in the history of my family's land allotments. We still have most of our allotment lands today in our family. However, we sold a lot of it too. And some of it was also taken by that guardian, J.D. Anderson. My family has saved um, boxes of original land allotment documents and other items. But I've wondered, how do I and others look at these types of documents and find where those plots of land are and were? The easiest thing to do is... Um just call real property and they will even uh, provide you, uh, if you ask for it um, in the past, they have provided you with um, where the land was and how it's platted out on the on the, the acre. They, they would be able to tell them where their property was and, um, and even uh, probably provide them with um, a, a copy of where their land lies in the Choctaw Nation or they That's could go great. to the where if they know where their allotment was they could also go to that county courthouse they're going to have copies of whoever owns the land and okay. who, who owned it to begin with but I would go to the um the Choctaw Nation okay yeah I think that's a good starting place a good safe place to start too because <laughs> I remember going to a courthouse one day and asking for help. It wasn't about land. It was something else. And they were like, yeah, we don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> like, okay, never mind. Goodbye. You never met me. <laughs> so you've shared some great tips and tools for us. Another great tool, if our listeners know which tribe they're from, is to go to their tribe, as you mentioned. Um, so I think that you had said that they could reach out to you. Um there is a an email address they can go to, correct, at Choctaw Nation, yes. if they're Choctaw. Um, what, yes. what would they need to know before, you know, what do they you want them to have prepared before they make that call or make that email? Okay, so I would suggest that um, before calling membership, that they call and make and let us check it out to make sure that it is the correct ancestor that mm. they found on the DOS roll. Sometimes they, there's going to be people with the same name. Okay. Uh, for instance, uh, one of my coworkers uh, was trying to decide if this person um, was the same person as the people that had uh, written in want to, saying that their ancestor was on the DOS roll. When she got to looking at it, the person that's on the DOS roll was uh, about three years old, whereas the person with the same name had been born in 19, I'm sorry, 1865. Oh. So that that can't be the same person. A lot of people don't understand about the Dawes Roll. They just weren't, somebody was just not walking down the the road and going from house to house to house to house. Right. They actually had to apply for it. And when they, in, in order to be eligible to apply, they had to be living in southeastern Oklahoma between 1898 to 1906. They had to have um, applied as Choctaw by blood, and they had to still be living by September the 25th, 1902. Mm. And that, okay, for instance, one of my uh, relatives um, died like two months before September 25th, 1902. And he is not on the Dawes roll. And his child could not use his blood. All she could use was her mother's side. 
Mm. And that caused, caused uh, you know, kind of a controversy with uh, the family and membership. But, you know, they, they had to, that was one of the rules that they had to be living still by September 25th, 1902. And then after that date, it's the, it would be the newborns and the minors. And the reason we say 1898 to 1906, because after September 25th, 1902, it was only newborns and minor children that were uh, added. Mm-hmm. And that role ended um, March the 4th, 1906. Right. So that's why we say 1898 to 1906. Okay, that makes sense. So it's really important that um, before they start to go for their membership to call genealogy or, or email or whatever, and make sure that they're on the right track. And um, so I would assume they probably need to know, you know, just going, hey, can you research my genealogy without having any information is really not going to be helpful, I would assume, right? I mean, they no, need to probably they, they, come with more info. <laughs> they, they need to, to bring um, or come, no, they need to call, wait, start again. They need to call us and uh, tell us who they think is their ancestor. But in the meantime, they should have made their own family tree because that we're going to suggest that they do that. Mm-hmm. They need, and tell them that they need to start with themselves, go back to their parents, grandparents, great-grandparents, or, or however many um, extra great-great-grandparents uh, they need to go back to. I, I do want to suggest that for females, um, know their maiden and married names. You're going to be looking for their uh, maiden name. If they were adults or at least 16 about, you may be looking for their married name. So whatever they were going by around 1900 is what we look for. What is the number when they come prepared? What's the number and email address that they can best reach you guys? Okay, the email address is genealogy at choctawnation.com. And genealogy is spelled G-E-N-E-A-L-O-G-Y. The phone number uh, is toll-free, 1-800-522-6170. Get the operator and ask them for genealogy, and they'll give you to us. Okay, so that's genealogy at ChoctawNation.com or 1-800-522-6170. 6170. Thanks for, for sharing that. So let's switch gears a bit. Why did you decide to get into genealogy? I got into genealogy just trying to find out more about my grandparents. And um, Ancestry.com was new then, and but I went ahead and did the free trial. After uh, finding my grandparents um, on the censuses, I, uh, well, I wanted to find my parents, but at that time that it wasn't open yet. But it was just, it just started something in me to find out more about everything. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I knew that, uh, this is the one that was the Chickasaw. I knew about where they were from because as we were growing up, our dad would point out, that's where your grandpa was born, or that's mm-hmm. where your grandmother went to church. Um, but, you know, things like that. And we're not talking about a populated area. We're talking about... Uh, around Tuscahoma, uh, Oklahoma, and, and around Sardis, which is now a lake. I guess they just wanted us to remember things. Right. And and they told the same thing over and over 
Porsche. We're, <clears throat> excuse me. As kids, we were going, oh, gosh, not again. Right, of course. We, we take it for granted uh, when we're younger. Yeah, but uh, apparently they said it enough time that, times that it sunk in. When Sardis became a lake, they, um, Sardis Cemetery, which is where a lot of my ancestors are in, they were going to move it but changed their mind. And so they basically built the um, cemetery up. Mm, okay. So we so it so it's like sixteen feet under instead of six feet under. Right. <laughs> and I don't even and, and and honestly I don't even know why I'm adding this, but um, but that's where I go when I just want to hang out with and and being a genealogist, we like cemeteries. Oh and, my gosh! Uh, yes, thank you. <laughs> and my 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 just. Um, he just goes along and he helps me look for, we'll be walking, um, cemeteries looking for a name and he helps me. But, uh, then I lucked into this job at Choctaw Nation, um, for, uh, genealogy. And then I found out how much that I still like doing it. Mm -hmm. Uh, there had been a couple of years since I had tried that first part of, um, you know, just looking for my grandparents. And even though I didn't ever pay it, they still had my information. And like you were saying, you know, it's, it's okay to leave it in there. Um, so I can even now and probably the rest of my life, I will probably go ahead and pay for it um, just because I want to be able to get in and out of Ancestry anytime I want to. But when I got this job, the first thing that um, I was told to do was start looking for your own family. Well, I knew, I knew part of it, uh, just from, you know, a couple of years before that I had looked on ancestry and luckily my information was still there. So I didn't have to do too much extra, but then I started taking a class through the, uh, national genealogical society and I had to learn about citations. So you need to write down everything where you, where you find something. And then it's just gone from there, and it is completely my passion now. Um, like I've said before, my husband puts up with me. I, from stopping, I'll, there's an old cemetery stop, you know, just right in the middle of nowhere. Hmm. And there's a lot of Indian cemeteries in the Choctaw Nation that he's had to slam on his brakes and make a quick turn. <laughs> I love so, it. So he, uh, and like I said, he tolerates getting out there and, and in the heat and cold looking for, and wet. Mm -hmm. I mean, we were in, had our rain boots on one time because it was flooding down in this one area near Whitesboro, Oklahoma. And I was trying to find a, a cemetery that had my great aunt in it. And she had died in 1910. And I had, a, my sister and I had always thought that she had died of TV. But mm -hmm. when we finally found her, um, she had died, uh, it said when she died, and I happened to notice this little grave beside her, and the child was born the day that my great aunt died. Oh, She didn't wow. die of tuberculosis, she died in childbirth. Mm. And so that added a little, you know, piece to a puzzle. But anyway, but yes, I, I like what I do. Um, I have said that I have an, an Irish... Uh, great grandmother who married a 
full blood Chickasaw man, and I can't find her. Uh, she's she's on the Dodge roll as an interwed, but um, I, I'm just having trouble locating her because her name is too common. Isn't it bizarre? You know, we've talked about before how Native Americans are usually the typically the hardest to find, and yet for you, it's it's different. It's finding your Irish great great grandmother or whatever. So it must have been. Do you do you think it was probably scandalous back then for an Irish person to marry a Chickasaw man? No, I don't think so. Because okay, at the time of the Dodge Roll, which is around 1900, there were three times more non-Indians. Um, they were called the intr intruders, but there were three times more non-Indians living here than uh, there were Indians. Wow. Yeah. So it just happened. I don't. Um, I know that that my great grandmother had lost her family, and um, my uh, great grandfather's mother and them took her in, and uh, eventually they, I guess, fell in love and they got married. Um, I love it. That's a great story. So it, uh, yeah. So so it's they were around Dow, Oklahoma, and uh, and see that's another thing that my. Uh, like I was talking about earlier about my dad just pointing out spots said, um, you know, like over there, so-and-so lived over there. So-and-so uh, died. Yeah. You know, places like that. I love that. So I was lucky. I was lucky that, that I had them then, then, then rather than my granddaughter who um, doesn't have anybody pointing her out mm -hmm. to those um, specific spots unless she's with me. And I and that I do what Dad and Grandpa did. I tell the same story over and over and over, even though they roll their eyes. So yeah, tell us about. I know your maiden name was James, so feel free to tell us about both sides of the family, the things that you do know. I'm in my late sixties now, and I have always felt like I was lucky or blessed because I had four uh, grandparents that I was around when I was uh, a kid. They would, you know, tell stories and. Like I was, you know, like um, but one of them met their spouse at a rodeo and told me stories like the, the the bull as it came running past him with his, um, no, I'm not going to say that. Wow. I was getting interested in that one. <laughs> oh, no, after he come by, the, the, the bull come by with the rider, with, with after the rider had been thrown, the, uh, um, the, the bull peed toward all of them. So the, oh. at the, they're all trying to get out of the stands. Because <laughs> apparently they were not on the top where I would be. They were sitting lower. Oh, my so goodness. That was, that was their first date. That sounds like a fun first date. I love it. Yeah. <laughs> when my dad met my mom, they were at college um, in Durant. And she said, what is your name? And he said, Cecil James. And she said, well, I'm Ruth James. Well, come no to find way. Out. <laughs> right. Both my both my grandparents, um, both sets of grandparents, our last name was James. So, but mom was the Choctaw James, and my dad was Chickasaw James. Wow. So uh, we did we never did call you know how people go um, Grandpa James or Grandma James or it was always uh, you know Grandpa um, Bill or Grandma Emma or things like that, because we, 
I don't even know if I knew their their um, yeah last name to begin <laughs> with. Now that I said that, yeah. But but anyway, um, my Choctaw grandparents, um, they were William <clears throat> William they were William S. James and Tilly and Tickness. Um, Tickness, I don't know where they came from. That name came from, but. They were. They met at a um, orphanage in Atoka or near Atoka, Oklahoma. Choctaw grandparents. They lived up around Sandboy County, um, which I think you um, had your relatives were up in that area too. Yeah, I'm yeah. Or toward uh, uh, where it's Stigler, and you were a little. Your family came a little bit south there. Mm-hmm. But anyway, that's where my uh, grandmother's allotment was because at, at the time the dot because after my grandpa got his allotment, in order to um, feed his family and to um, you know keep him in clothes and because mm-hmm. they were very poor people, he had to sell his, which was actually out toward the um, the western part of the. Chickasaw Nation, I believe. They met at the orphanage, and then they, my grandpa went ahead and went up to Bacon College, and a couple of years later, they get married. There's a newspaper article even in the, oh, I think it was Wichita, Kansas newspaper, uh, telling about, <coughs> sorry, uh, telling about uh, their marriage, and the headline said something about Indian brave marries Indian maiden or Oh, wow. So, and they got married at uh, Bacon. Wow. And the man that married the person who had ran the orphanage down in Atoka. So anyway, that I just, I was thrilled when I saw something like that because it just, just something out there off newspapers.com and you'd be surprised what you could find off newspapers.com. So true, so true. Of course, in, in Oklahoma, there's the, the newspapers, most of them didn't start till at least 1880s, and some didn't even then. Hmm. And you could, that's and newspapers um, in Oklahoma, you can find a lot of them on OKHistory.org, and they uh, and it's free because that's Oklahoma, Oklahoma Historical Society. Nice. Whereas with newspapers.com, you might be able to find it, but they're going to charge you to use their website. Yes. Okay, so going back to them, they got married. They had their family. They lived in St- around Stigler. Um, my grandfather, he was actually from around Hartshorn, which was near where my dad's family was from. Hmm. One thing I had to do was follow my family or, or a member of my family through where he lived. Well, on the Dodge Roll, I, found, um, I knew who my granddad was. But I, what I didn't know uh, until I started doing genealogy as a job and so I used him to pinpoint different places he lived. And the last place I pinpointed him is down at Atoka, Oklahoma. And he had started working at the orphanage where his four grandsons. Uh, no had way. Oh, really? And so, and so I was so thrilled because in the intervening years of when it was like 1898 to when he died in around 1905, um, I traced him to, like I said, Hartshorn, traced him up toward um, Stigler, traced him 
few other places, and, the, and he ended up in Atoka. And the only thing that I said is it's got to have been the grandsons because he got to see them every day. And apparently he was a preacher, so he got to see them all the time and watched them grow because in the meantime, his own uh, daughters and son had died. Oh, and wow. So the family that he would, was wanting to be connected with was their grandsons. And Aww. I just almost, that makes me cheery every time I think right? about it. Right, when it, you know, when when it I, clicks you know, for you. Would, yeah, see, I, as a grandmother, I would definitely want to be where my uh, grandkids were. Yeah. So. so what was that like when that clicked for you? Just like, oh, well, it, lost well I mean, it, it wasn't just as like quick. It was like something hit me in the head. Yeah. You know, how did that happen? Why did no, no one had ever said that. Wow. And so I didn't even know he was, you know, alive then. Um, my grandpa actually, you know, knew him and remembered him, I'm sure, because he was like nine or 10 at that point. And uh, I, I imagine they were glad to get a hug from their, gra uh, right. from their grandpa every day. Totally. Do you know why his kids died? Um, I, I had heard that the, the, the four boys, their um, mother was sick and, uh, and she married a, she was like 30, but she married a guy that was like about 20, 21. Mm -hmm. And he kept the boys after she died for until the, for two or three years until the uh, uh, orphanage opened. And then okay. he sent him down okay. there because him being such a young man, he didn't have a way to take care of them. Right. He didn't know what right. to do with ways, right. you know, uh, that really weren't his. Well, they yeah. weren't his. Right, but, right. Uh, but at least he kept them and didn't separate them until it was time to for them to go to the orphanage. Now, the youngest, um, I want to say the youngest boy was probably about five, maybe, at that time. Aww. He he was he was young, but uh, then my grandmother, um, the Telantechnus, when she went there, um, she had lost both her parents. But and you know back then they didn't have antibiotics. It could have been pneumonia. It, there was a lot of um, tuberculosis that mm -hmm. people were having uh, trouble with. So, uh, but I really don't know how they died. Now on my dad's side uh my grandmother who was uh she was her name was emma anderson and then she married my uh granddad and his name was Moses james or moses james i didn't know his name was moses until i was an adult i always called him Mose. oh so, <laughs> right <laughs> I thought, that doesn't sound right it's, all it's these yeah, these nicknames really mess us up. And did you ever, when you've been researching, have you ever noticed that during that time period, a lot of times they used the first and middle initial? So like my granddad was W.C. Schaffner, the White Guardian was J.D. Anderson. And there's so many names out there right. like that, where it's like, this does not help me. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. They did. Sometimes it just felt like um, C.K. Ross. And I'm going, that doesn't help. Right, so exactly. Is it Calvin? Is it Chad? What is it? <laughs> um, yeah, uh, run into that almost every day with people that call up. I said, we don't know. We just know his initials. Right. And you get the ones that call and say, um, well, I know she was my grandmother, but we called her little mama. Right. My great grandmother, <laughs> and big mama. And I'm like, she said, I don't know their names. I know. 
can it be more specific? It's so true. Like my aunt, um, Dolores's name, we always called her babe. So I didn't know her name for the longest time. A lot of those. Yeah. Okay. So then what, what else did you find? Okay. So, um, okay. So my grandmother, like I said, her last name was Tickness. Don't know where that came from. Um, but luckily at, at the time of Dosro, if they, they fill those cards out around 1899, mm-hmm. some were in 1898, more the ones that were on the Chickasaw side. When the census cards were filled out, it had everyone who was alive back on a certain date in 1898 or 1899. But if that person was not still alive by September 25th, 1902, um, then there would be a line marked through their name and it would have had dead or died uh, written by them or stamped beside their name. Mm-hmm. So yeah. because both of my grandparents, well, both of Tillian's parents were deceased, still had their names on there. But so I could go back another generation, like with um, with their with their dad, because his his even though his name was Tickness, John Tickness on the roll, but people called him Sam, and I like I <laughs> finally found Sam Tickness somewhere in some other papers, like the state papers. Oh. But uh, but it also had his name of his father on there, and that was um, Ashleen Tubby. I've heard it pronounced Ashlyn Tubby mm-hmm. a couple of other ways. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I could go back and look for him and he, because John Tickness was 50 at the time of the Dawes roll, he would have been born around 1850. So his, I was able to find his dad back on the, um, immigration records. Okay. Which were done with Rossland removal. Interesting. Yeah. And I, if nothing else, I hope people will take away as they're doing their research, how, you didn't give up on the whole thing. You just kept looking and searching different names, you know, like the Sam name you eventually found it that way. So don't just assume that the person never existed. Look for other options, look for, be creative about it because you might find that it was just written a different way or spelled wrong or a different name or whatever. And, and, uh, the, uh, National Archives in Fort Worth has a copy of the ones that died before 1949. There were proof of airships. And we're talking about just the people on the Dawes Roll, well, the Choctaws on the Dawes Roll. Mm-hmm. They had proof of airship papers. But So if they happened to die before 1949, uh, we can find out through them uh, the name of the children. And oh, that makes I, sense. I, I use that tactic when... Uh, I was looking up a, um, oh my gosh, I don't know how many, a great, great grandmother, I think. Mm-hmm. Uh, and she was still alive. She was like 60 at the, the Dawes roll. And uh, because I was able to pull up her, um, that was Emma Anderson's great, uh-huh. no, I guess it's her grandmother. And uh, that was how I was able to find out who all her kids were. Oh, okay. Hey, question and, for and, you. And usually, and, on a proof of airship, sometimes it will say this person just died, and it gives a death date. So it's it those are those are cool, but it's only if they it's only if the, the um, original enrollee uh, died by 1949. Anyway, like I said, it'll it will show when the the original enrollee died, 
are approximately where they were living at the time. Uh, it will show their children's names. It will show if they were married and how many times they were married. And if those ended in divorce or um, if the person died. Right. It's just, you know, their fact type of stuff. Uh, gotcha. and, and that's about it. Okay. And, and, but like I said, I, off that one, I got seven or eight other uh, members of the family when I looked up um, my great, great grandmother. Wow. Yep. It's, it's the rabbit hole. That's a good rabbit hole. Yeah. <laughs> it's been interesting to and hear your stories, but also how it tied to your genealogy research. Because again, I think sometimes people think that, oh, I'm just going to research my ancestors. It's a fun and exciting experience, but it can also be frustrating and it takes time. You're not going to figure it out overnight. Sometimes it takes years for me. It's been, I don't even know how many years now, eight, 10 more, something like that. But yeah. <clears throat> well, luckily I feel like they were, like I said, teaching me my whole life um, about my mama used to say this, or my mama used to say that, um, you know, grandpa, he was fluent in Choctaw, but he could, that, you know, Chickasaw was, um, a little bit off from Choctaw and uh, every now and then he'd start talk, be talking Chickasaw and grandma would go, you're saying it wrong. So, oh, cause you're saying it, the Chickasaw <laughs> pronunciation. Yeah. He'd have to switch and speak Choctaw. Yeah, exactly. That's interesting. Now, I side note, um, I can't help but ask, your last name is Takes Horse, that's your married name, and your husband is Bill, and is he Crow? Yes, he's Crow Indian, and um, Takes Horse is two words, one last name, and it's just like, um, well, just like what it says, Takes Horse, hmm. T-A-K-E-S, and another word, H-O-R-S-E. And do you know, go ahead. Oh, I'm sorry. I, I was going to ask, do you know how his family got that name? Yes, I do. But I'm afraid I'm going to butcher it. <laughs> because, okay, back, back before, uh, you know, I'm not going to say 18 or 1700s, but I don't, I just don't know the timeline. Um, they had, sometimes they would send out, okay. In this particular case, they, the Crow tribe needed some horses. And and if I'm wrong, if anybody from Crow hears this, I am so sorry. I'm, <laughs> but I've got the gist. Anyway, I actually almost had him come up here with me today. And I said, you can tell that if she asks. Yeah. But, um, but, and we would have gotten to a whole other conversation with him. Oh, my gosh. Anyway. Sounds like um, that's another podcast waiting to happen. <laughs> Send Bill my way, will you? <laughs> really. But he... Um, um, so somewhere in his, some of his ancestors, uh, were about to go steal some horses from, and I think he said it was the Sioux tribe. So, you know, you had your little war parties go out. It didn't mean they were going to go to battle with something. You know, it could be right. something like going to get extra horses and the Crow tribe were excellent horsemen. Mm. So anyway, um, I, I guess they put on their war paint and, um, uh, maybe, uh, put some paint on the horses too, but uh, whoever was in charge uh, told 
you know, this group, you guys go that direction. This group, you know, all anyway, they all went the four directions. And uh, then they would meet back. And, and, and they were just at that point just on a scouting mission. And so when they met back up, uh, some of them said that there's some really good horses over here. And that there are um, so many, um, I guess, lookouts that they, we can't, we, I don't think we'll be able to get into there to steal the horses. And I think a couple of other ways they didn't find anything. And, and then this other one said, well, these are, are scrawny uh, horses, but, you know, we can go get them. There's, there's nobody watching out for them. We can grab them and slip away and, and just get home and we'll all be safe and, and uh, you don't have extra horses. Uh-huh. Well, apparently there was a couple of brothers in that. And I said, knowing Bill, I, uh, yeah, knowing my husband, he, I'm sure he takes after them. <laughs> but uh, he, uh, apparently, they, the, they went to get these other horses uh, that were the scrawny ones that were not being watched over. And they took them back to the tribe. And uh, so they were uh, later celebrating that, you know, everybody returns. And so after they got uh, got the scrawny horses, they ended back up at camp, but they didn't even notice that the, their two brothers were um, missing. So it, so anyway, they celebrated, they were asleep in their teepees, and all of a sudden they could hear the ground rumbling. And somebody looked out and, and started saying this, Sioux are attacking us. The Sioux are attacking us. Oh my and gosh. so everybody was grabbing their um, bows and arrows and trying to get out there. And uh, pretty soon you see two, the two brothers running the horses through the camp. They had gone back to the bigger camp that was, but with just two people, they were able to slip in there, get the horses and uh, get them away from the Sioux. Oh my gosh. Uh, what a story. story. But, uh, and so these, First one that I, in 1885, there was, uh, his name was known to take a horse. Wow. And that's what they called him back then. And uh, and I, he was part Crow and I think part Hadassah, if I'm correct. It's really, truly been a pleasure to get to learn more from you and your years of expertise in this area, even for me personally. Uh, but I know our listeners are going to be super grateful. Preservation of our ancestral stories is a gift we give not only to those who came before us, but also to our future generations. I'd like to thank my ancestors who walked a difficult road, yet found strength not only to just survive, but also to grow and build and pass down a hard work ethic and determination. I hope regardless of ethnicity, you will put your whole heart into trying to understand your ancestors too, dear listeners. You just might find you'll learn more about yourself too along the way. God bless and Yakoki. Potential is everywhere in the Choctaw people. It's in our schools and students. It's in our small businesses and entrepreneurs. Potential is in our lifestyle and health. It's in our culture and heritage. Passion and commitment is in our blood. Ingenuity and economy are a tradition. And the Chutla Foundation was founded for this potential. To cultivate minds, 
and hearts, to stimulate ideas and passions, to extend lives and improve health through education, and to preserve and promote the power of our past. The Chata Foundation, meeting the potential of the Choctaw people. Thanks for listening to Native Chalk Talk. Be sure to join our community on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and LinkedIn. Simply search for Native Chalk Talk. That's Native, C-H-O-C-T-A-L-K. And check us out at nativechalktalk.com. Stay tuned for the next episode. You're going to love it. Yakoki. Thank you, my friends. <laughs>